This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We'd like to first of all welcome uh, Torah Anytime again to our Tuesday night class. Again, uh, to, first of all, we have to um, thank, you know, Bejuudo for hosting us every Tuesday night at 630 Avenue S uh, in Brooklyn, New York. One one whatever two two la 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 and um, it's it's everyone's welcome to join in um, Tuesday night at eight p.m. There is uh, a class for men and women whoever wants to come and and Wednesday night we also have a class at eight p.m. for in Russian so for all the Russian speaking crowd uh, please join us so uh, we want to keep uh, recap last week we spoke about um, success in life and and about happiness so we want to we want to first of all. Uh, understand, well, we went, this is what we went through, let's do a little bit of a recap. We spoke about that success, right? What does everybody want in life? And we spoke about many people like want money, many people want to get married, many people want, uh, you know, certain things, X, Y, and Z. But now if we go a step further and we say, okay, why do people want money? Why do people want marriage? Why do people want kids? Why do people, it all leads to one thing and that's happiness. Everybody's ultimate goal, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, is happiness. Which means is they might strive for a higher education or for whatever it is that they decide that they want. At the end of the day, it is for their own happiness. So now, if we just equated success to happiness, then we we also spoke about last week. How come no one's happy? No one's happy in the world, right? We spoke about how much uh, how th- there's so many prescriptions for uh, antidepressants going on. What's going on in this world? If the main thing that we strive for is happiness, how come we're all failing terribly at it? Right, so uh, we spoke about a few things. We spoke about um, a gratitude. The more grateful you are, the more of a happier person you're going to be. We also spoke about kindness, which we'll also speak about. Uh, we'll continue with a little bit about today, and then we'll go on to more steps, practical steps of what you can each do that the Torah says, and we're going to plug in science also that will make you a happier and hence a more successful person. So, uh, before we begin, I want to start with uh, with a fascinating story that um, that I that I read recently. There was once a person by the name of, uh, let's call him Sam. And Sam had a very close friend, and his name was Max. And they were very, very close with each other. They went to nursery together, and they lived on the same block. And they went to high, into elementary school together, and they went to high school together. It's a true story happened in Israel. And uh, they were best friends. Havutas, everything was, was going excellent. When they got of age, uh, Sam got married first. And then uh, three months later, Max got married. Within, within one year after Sam got married, he had a baby boy. And then shortly afterwards, his friend Max also had, you know, uh, uh, you know, a child, a baby boy, you know, shortly afterwards. And this, you know, as good friends that they were growing up, eventually, you know, the, the whole, both couples were, you know, the, but the husband and the wife both became very close with the other husband and wife. So they, um, as, as their kid grew up, as Sam's kid grew up, he became uh, five years old, and they decided they're going to send him to a amazing. It was actually when he was four. When he was four, they decided to send him to this amazing preschool. Right? It was an uh, it was an unbelievable you know school, hard to get in, and they managed to get it in. So they decided they're going to send it there. The only downside was it was a little bit far. Since it was a little bit far, so they decided you know they they have to drive him. He can't walk. So they drove him for one year. They drove him to to uh, to the to the school. When he became five, his friend's son. Max's son also came of age, and they also wanted to put him in the same in the same school. And they happened to get in, and they decided, listen, we're both going there. They're both lives of fire. They've lived very close to each other. They says, let's carpool, right? Like nowadays, everyone does it. They decided, let's carpool, and they decided that they're going to go and and uh, they're going to switch off days. Which one is going to take uh, both kids? So everything was working beautifully until uh, you know what the mother who says a story this is a true story. Who mother says a story says calls it Black Monday. 
It says one day the the you know Sam was always particular when he brought the kids to school. He would always lock one side, which was towards the oncoming traffic. He would always lock it to make sure that no one could go out and none of the kids could get into oncoming traffic. And they all have to go to the side that was closer to the curb. However, Max wasn't so uh, particular about it. So one day he goes into, he's driving both their kids, his kid and his friend's kid. And he's driving to, to school and he just parks and he says, all right, everyone out. And, you know, the, the Sam's kid, which happened, his name was Shlomi, he said, um, you know, he just opened the door right next to him. And it just so happened to be, it was, it was you know, in the street. And he says, uh, what happened was, his car was speeding by. The second he stepped out, the car hit him. He mm-hmm. flew, he flew uh, you know, tens of feet in the air. And the mother says story that he died on the spot. He, he didn't make it. And, um, you know, so the mother says, sorry, you know, there was a funeral and there was a, you know, there was a shiva. And, but she says that they were all like, look, it was all from like they were in an outside perspective. You know, it's like, uh, unfortunately, no one should ever know from this, but they, they couldn't feel like they were in it. They, they felt like they were observing it from the outside. And they said they took it very, very hard. They didn't take it, you know, the, there's no way to take it easy, but they took it terribly. And, uh, you know, as his friend, you know, Max came and wanted to pay Shiva call to, to, you know, Sam, and he's like, how do you, you know, how do you show your face that because of you, his son died? You know, it's terrible. And he, finally, after a few days, he said he has to go. He went and he paid a Shiva call to um, this, this uh, his best friend, who he unfortunately caused his kid to die. And uh, the, the wife said the story, she says, you know, we weren't sure when the friendship was over. But one thing is for sure, when he left the Shiva house, everybody knew that this friendship was done. They didn't take it well. And it was not, the parents and not, were not very receptive and understanding and an accent. They didn't take it well at all. And, um, this guy, Max, you know, killed, you know, a five-year-old kid, kid got killed because of him. A person can't sleep with that. A person can't live with that. So he took it very, very hard and he kept on coming to his friend, you know, Sam, and he kept on begging him. He's like, you know, please, you know, like, forgive me. I'm sorry. He would wake up early in the morning, go in front of his house and say, please, I beg of you, for, forgive me for what I've done. And nothing doing. Event, he would cry, send letters, do everything he could. Finally, uh, Sam got really upset already. He says, he's like, listen, he says, nothing's never gonna change. He says, stop coming, I don't wanna see you, I don't wanna see you ever again. And he said, not only that, he says, every time that I'm near you, I get upset. And every time, he's like, more than that, I can't stay in this neighborhood that much longer. And, uh, the wife said the husband was true to his word. One month later, they got up and they moved out of the, out of the community. And, they wanted, and they decided they're gonna start new. They went to this, uh, to this new community, and, uh, a, uh about a year or so later, they were blessed with a, with a child. In, in the interim, they had uh, two twins, and now this is a third child. So they had three three kids at this point. And, uh, um, you know, they obviously you can't replace a kid, but they felt like this was a gift from heaven sort of to ease their suffering. And life goes on, and they continue with, uh, you know, babies are going to school, and they're getting older. And suddenly, one day, the wife gets a, a frantic phone call from, from somebody in a hospital and says, you have to come, your husband's in the hospital. She comes, she, she comes racing down, and she's told that her husband was, you know... Uh, like, you know, he fainted, he passed out in the, you know, in work. They brought him to, into the hospital and they realized that he's, uh, he has kidney failure. And he needs, uh, he needs to go now on dialysis. Which means is that every three times a week he has to go to a center and they, his, his kidneys doesn't work so he can't really urinate. So now what they do is they plug someone into, uh, you know, this machine for like four or five, six hours a day, a day th- four hours a day, three days a week. Just to clean out for what the, you know, like, uh, all the, all the toxins that usually the kidneys usually do. And, um, you know, so, you know, she looks at her husband, and he became from, like, used to be like a strong man, he became nothing. He went every, he went all the way down, he had to quit his job, he, um, had to go on disability, and, you know, and he had to, you know, he was on dialysis for, you know, for quite some time. 
after uh, a few months of him being on dialysis, they get a call from the surgeon uh, who's in the hospital, who's in, you know, the, the nephrologist or whatever was in charge. And they, he tells them, he said, listen, I need you both to come in here immediately. He, they, come, they both come in and he says, listen, I was reviewing your husband's paperwork and, it, you know, it doesn't look good. He's, he's on he's by end-stage renal failure, renal failure, which means is that he has, you know, about three months until it becomes term, terminal and all systems are shut, shutting down. And they're like, so, you know, what are we supposed to do? He says, the only thing you can do right now is, uh, is really a, a, a transplant. And, you know, the problem is, is that he has a very rare blood type. And you need a very specific person with exactly the same blood type to give him the transplant. And that's very hard to come by. You know, so they're like, oh, you know, you know, they're saying like, so what are you telling us? You know, that it's over? And he's like, no, listen, we know we'll put you on, on the waiting list and, and God willing, hold, you know, pray, do whatever you can. And hopefully we'll be able to, to get something. So they get home, they're completely, you know, the husband's getting weaker and weaker, the wife is beside herself, she lost her child not too long ago, now she feels like she's going to lose her, her husband as well. And she goes and she says, um, so the first thing she does is she opens up the Huli Psalms and she starts reading the entire thing, crying to God, you know, non-stop. And finally she finishes the, the book once and she decides she's going to go to the rabbi, the rabbi of the community. And he goes and she, she basically spills the whole story. She tells him everything from the beginning, you know, the, you know, about her son that passed away and now her, now her husband is sick and it's, and it's not looking good. And, you know, can you please do something? So the rabbi says, um, I want you to keep on praying. And says, don't worry, I'm going to go speak to all the biggest rabbis. I'm going to shake the heavens for you. And she felt good. She felt confident. She felt good. She went, she went home. And she said that day she finished the Tehillim three times. Soaked with tears. Three times the Tehillim she finished. And she said that was her daily routine. Her daily routine was that she would go and she would recite Tehillim. And, uh, um, you know, after about two months, after, after that, she gets a call from the hospital. And the hospital saying that uh, they found a donor. Please come in immediately. So they, they both rush in and they, they're doing some testing. It says, we have, a, we have a donor where we think it is a close match. So they start doing all the testing and they find out that it's exactly the same match and it's all systems go. So they're very excited, Baruch Hashem, and he goes on the surgery. He goes on the surgery and Baruch Hashem, the, the, the surgery was successful. He bounced back, he was able to, you know, his, his, uh, his kidneys were, his now his one kidney was working and it, it, things were getting back into, uh, into, into normal. And uh, about six months passed since the surgery. He starts working again, he starts getting into normal uh, life, and uh, one day he shows up by his wife's work, uh, he calls her from downstairs and he says, please come down, I, I need to speak to you. And she was very nervous, she says her husband never showed up to her work once, and to come in and to say, you know, I need to speak to you, there must be something going on over here. So, and it can't be good. So she goes down over there, and she sees that he's, he's white, he's like white as a horse. She's like, is everything okay, is it your kidneys, is that, you know, what's, what's going on? And he's like, no, 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 everything is okay, I just, you know, something happened, I need to tell you. So they sit in the car and he starts telling her, I said, listen, you know, he says, uh, you know, when I was sick with the, you know, the kidney failure, I started thinking about, you know, doing cheshbon nefesh, which means retrospection, see how I lived my life. And he says, it really bothered me how I treated my friend uh, Max. You know, I, I don't feel like I was right. And, you know, I, didn't, I know he didn't do it, you know, didn't, you know, obviously he didn't do it on purpose. So it started bothering me, but every time I would think about him while I was sick, he said, I... It made me really bitter and really annoyed and really, you know, anxious. So I decided to just push it off. And he says, you know, today I started uh, thinking about it, you know, more. And I said, you know, let me call a mutual friend of ours to see how he's doing. So he calls over this, his mutual friend and he's like, uh, um, you know, and he says, like, while I'm speaking to him, I could see that he never knew that he had any issues uh, with his kidneys. He never, you know, he, picked, he they never he put the two and two together. So he says, um, he says, oh, you know, how's uh, Max doing? 
And so his friend, the mutual friend, he said, listen, Max is, uh, you know, he's doing better. He's recuperating after the surgery, but he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's getting better. So the guy stops, like, what, what surgery? He's like, oh, right, I forgot you're not in contact with him anymore. So he said, uh, yeah, Max, you know, I guess he felt really bad about what happened. So sort of as something, you know, to, you know, pay back God, he felt that he, he donated his kidney to somebody. And this guy, the phone just dropped. And he picks up the phone. He's like, uh, he's like, oh, okay, thank you. I, I gotta go. I'll call you right back. He almost, he almost fainted. The husband said, and he said, he goes to his wife and he's like, what, what are we supposed to do? He's like, how is this possible? How did this happen? He says, like, and he says, you know what? And I feel it. I feel it that he gave me his kidney. He's like, I feel that it's him. And the wife is thinking, and she's like, you know what? She starts putting. She's a smart woman. She starts putting two and two together. He says, you know what? Let's go right, right now to the rabbi, the rabbi that I spoke to. He goes, uh, both of them show up at the rabbi in the middle of the day. The rabbi opens the door, sees both the husband and wife, both look white, and he realizes something is up. And she's like, you know, something happened over here, and we think we, you were involved with it. And he sits him down, and he says, he, he says, yeah, let me explain to you what happened. He says, uh, when you moved into this neighborhood, your friend Max came in, came into the, uh, to meet me, and he said, listen, he says, I, I really felt that, he told me everything that happened, and he felt terrible, and he really wanted to make it up, and he says, whatever you can do to try to put the two or two together. And so he said, listen, I felt you out throughout the, the years that you were here, and I saw that, you know, you weren't ready yet. So I didn't mention anything. He says, but when your wife came and said that, you know, you need a kidney, or otherwise you're not making it in the past three months, I realized it's now or never. Let me call him. Let's see. So I call this guy, Max, and when I speak to Max and I tell him about the whole situation, he stops for a second and he says, I'm a match. And the guy's like, he's like, oh, the rabbit says, what do, you, what do you mean you're a match? It's a very rare blood type. You don't know. He's like, no, 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 I know. He says, when we were younger, we took a CPR course together and we had to take our blood work. And we both had the same rare blood work. And, um, but, but the rabbi said, he says, listen, I don't think if he tells you that it's his best friend, you know, that, that killed his son, going to now give you his kid. I don't think he's going to accept it. So the the Max said, he said, listen, I don't want him to know. I don't want him to know that I gave him the, the kidney. He says, we, they went through some organization, which took some time, to sort of, you know, keep the donor anonymous, which is, you know, it's not it's not unlikely that they that people do that. So they kept everything anonymous, and the rabbi said, but now that you came to me and you figured it out, I figured, you know, might as well tell you the whole story, and, and here it is. So the husband and wife, you know, froze for the, they sat down, they were, they were, they were completely beside themselves, and they're thinking, and they're like, you know what, I don't, can, can you set up a meeting? Can we meet them? And the rabbi says, absolutely. We'll, we'll set up a meeting. They set up a meeting to meet in a hotel lobby. And the next day, the next day, the husband and wife go to meet, uh, you know, their once, uh, best friends, and they see them in the hotel lobby in the distance. So the second that they locked, the husbands locked eyes, they just started, they dropped everything that they did and they ran towards each other and embraced each other and they started crying on each other. And, you know, when the woman saw that, so the woman, you know, emotionally, you know, clicks on and they also started crying and they also went and they hugged and they had an unbelievable, uh, you know, reunion. And, you know, the guy who, you know, who donated the kidney said, you know, I'm so, you know, I, I can't tell you how bad I feel. I, it's still, to the guilt fills me to this day to, for what had happened to your son. And, you know, the other guy, Sam, is saying, listen, I feel bad. I should apologize the way I treated you. I know you didn't do it on purpose. I know it wasn't your fault. And they just kept on, uh, you know, apologizing to each other. And they sort of made up and they became uh, friends again. A short while later, they were, they were talking. The, the two husbands were talking. And the, and the one that donated the kidney said, he said, you should know, uh, Sam. He says, even if your kid wouldn't have died, I was still giving you my kidney. He says, because you're like a brother to me. And he says, and I would give it to you anyway. And, 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 you know, this is what you see the story of how, you know, People happen. What happens in life and to people's life, and how people are, you know, take a grudge and they, they hold it in. And meanwhile, their life savior could come from the death of somebody else. You know, it, it, people don't understand. People live life and they're assuming that, you know, what happens happens and that's it. If I see that you're not good to me now, I'm not. I'm never going to deal with you. 
you know, and people live the life with grudges and, and just this brings such a lack of happiness, such a lack of success in life. For what? For the, at the end of the day, you know, you push away people that you love the most. People that care about you the most, you end up pushing away. So, I, I wanted to, to start over. It's not an unbelievable story that really should take everybody, you know, inside and look what people do for other people, right? Not everybody's evil, not everybody's against you, and not everybody's trying to get at you. Get at you. Now, we spoke last last week. We spoke a little bit about kindness. I wanted to bring some. I, I saw an interesting. Uh, I actually saw this today. I saw an interesting uh, study done by Dr. Uh, David Hamilton. Who uh, a study on on what the, what does it do when you do kindness from other people? Right, we said the Torah says to give chesed, to do chesed, right? Give charity, do all these things. Give to, give money to poor people, help people in need, right? And not only and we said also last week, who's it better for, the poor person or the rich person? The person who gains more is the one who gives more than the one that receives, right? And now I'm going to show you. So we know that's for sure in the next world. Now I'm going to show you that the person gains more in this world. And listen to this amazing research that I've seen. So, Dr. Havel, uh, uh, Dr. David Hamilton found five things. That, that it, by doing acts of kindness, it helps you internally. He said, first of all, on a biochemical level, he says that there are certain times when you do something good, you feel good. He says those, those feeling of good are natural levels of, uh, dopamine that are in your, in your, in, in your body, right? Dopamine, by the way, is also a source of, uh, people, why people take morphine and heroin, right? It's a certain high that you get, right? And there's somebody who does kindness, the dopamine levels in his brain that also rise, and hence, given this sort of, and it's known in the scientific world as a helper's high. Right? So somebody who helps somebody else feels better inside of him. Right? From the same, yeah, all the heroin addicts, right? Tell them, forget about the heroin. Just do lots of chesed. Just keep on giving kindness. You'll get your high. Right? The number two, he says, not only that, he says, the acts of kindness, besides, besides getting the dopamine levels, is also something else that's released and it's called oxytocin. Oxytocin is, plays a very significant role in the cardiovascular system. So there's something very interesting, let me explain it first. So the oxytocin releases something called, uh, uh, nitric, uh, oxide. Nitric oxide to blood vessel expands the blood vessels. So just a very brief uh, idea on how, you know, people I would say have high blood pressure, right? How, what does high blood pressure mean? So you have, imagine that you have a straw, right? And you have fluid going through the straw. straw. Now, if you pack in more fluid into the straw, that it, it's going to keep on expanding and stretching, right? It's going to get tight. That's the, that pressure is when you have high blood pressure. So that, that's a pressure that you have. Either your blood vessels are shrinking or you're getting a lot of whatever fluid in there and that's why you're, 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 you have high blood pressure. And that's why sometimes when people have high blood pressure, they give them certain pills that make them urinate a lot to sort of release the water to make it not so, uh, not so uh, um, high pressure. What oxytocin does... Is it, it's, uh, it, it does for the, for the, you know, for the veins and the, and the arteries, it expands them. It expands them, so what happens is, in some blood pressure medications, so this is what they do, is that if you expand it, then there's less pressure in the, in the, in the, in the vein, in the, in the, throughout the circulation. So hence, by doing acts of, acts of kindness, it increases your oxytocin level, which increases your, um, your nitric oxide levels, which dilates the blood, which helps you internally feel better, Gives you lower blood pressure. It has you less of a chance of heart uh, problems or or any sort of diseases related to the blood, which is unbelievable. You're doing chesed and you're gaining for yourself. Whoever thought about this? It's unbelievable. So not only that, there's something else. It helps with aging as well. This is, by the way, secular source. I'm not telling you. The Torah said this a long time ago. It didn't uh, give all the jibber jabber about the you know all the all the technical terms. But on a biochemical biochemical level, there's something very interesting. There's for for somebody for people that age. There's many processes that develop that that. Uh, are in the that help someone age. I should say help, but cause a person to age. Two of them are free radicals and inflammation. Right? Just Google free radicals. It's part of chemical bonding that you release it, and then there is extra um, uh, bonds that don't make don't, don't form, and they, they cause problems. But whatever it is, these two things um, cause a person to age more. 
oxytocin, when it's released, suppresses these two things. So hence, by doing chesed, you're releasing oxytocin, and then you're making yourself age slower. Which means you want to you age less, you want to you know, you you keep yourself young, do kindness. Do chesed. Chesed is going to help you. Besides that, we also know that, that he also brings out a chesed, that if you do acts of kindness, it brings a relationship closer together. And I think we spoke about this. Ahava, in Hebrew, is love. The root of ahava is hav, to give. You want to love somebody, you give them. When you give somebody, you love them more, right? The bond of relationship is, is closer. So much more so is if, let's say, you give your wife a present. Even though she gains a present, you gain more because you gain that extra bond, that extra, that extra connection that you just got. And there's something else very interesting is, is right, right, yeah, is, is uh, kindness is contagious. They did a study. Um, this was the New England Journal of Medicine, right? It reported something crazy, unbelievable. I, I, it's hard to believe. Somebody, did, they did a study. One 20-year-old person walked into a clinic, donated a kidney. And they followed to see what would happen because of his donation of a, of a kidney. And what they did was is they found that it was a ripple effect, or as they call it, a domino effect. That because somebody did a kindness good to them, some, they felt that they should do a kindness to somebody else. And they followed it through because one person donated a kidney throughout the entire U.S. Because of that, ten people donated kidneys. Ten people, because somebody, you know, the wife of the person that got the kidney says, listen, this person did this, somebody, random, I should really do it for somebody else. And that kept them going for 10 people. Unbelievable. You give somebody a smile, you don't know that you just did 20 things of chesed that kept on uh, uh, pouring. They once made a video clip from some singer, I forgot who it was, that, um, you know, where, where somebody dropped an orange. So somebody picked up an orange and they were like, you know, smiled. And then the person that, picked, that, that got the orange, you know, he walked a few steps and saw somebody else in need. And he says, well, you know, I'm in a good mood because of that. And he kept on, and everything kept on pushing. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's contagious. You do one good chesed act of chesed, it's not, it doesn't stop it there. It keeps on going. The opposite is also you're upset, you cut somebody off, you curse somebody, God forbid, out. You do Whatever you do, you do something bad, that contagious also. So your person has to be careful. To, the, their actions, um, you know, is not just one. It keeps on, it keeps on building and a building on it. Okay, so that's what I wanted to add on, on, uh, on happiness. Now I wanted to go on the other, I mean, I'm sorry, on um, chesed. Now I wanted to go on other different things that a person could do to increase their happiness and has, hence success in life. And the next thing is emuna. If somebody has faith in God, automatically they're going to live a happier life. Happier and successful. In every sort, so in every which form of way, if a person uh, a person understands the way that emunah works is that how do you know when do you have to work and when do you have to have the emunah kick it in? The more emunah you have, the more faith that you have in God, the less that you have to do for that. I'm not saying you sit back and relax and you know play video games all day. I'm talking about you sitting and learning Torah and you have faith. God's going to give you the money. The more it works hand in hand. The more faith that you have, the less that you have to do chase money and focus on on the spiritual. Obviously, so the the Ibn Ezra says on the, on a verse of Tehillim. Uh, the Tehillim, it's the verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 4. He says, it says, the righteous people are always happy. You know why they're always happy? Because whether the good things, whether the bad thing happens, they know everything's for the best. It says, these people, nothing, nothing bothers them. They know everything. Even if it looks bad, it's really for the best. And, you know, it's unfortunate because, because, uh, um, you know, the, in fact, the Chazonish says, the Chazonish says, he says, um, you know, whoever lives with constant awareness of, of God, of the Almighty, is a life of constant happiness. Right? Now it's unfortunate. People, why do people get upset? People get upset because things don't go their way. Things don't go the way that they're supposed to, the things the way that they're planned. I want to tell you this, this, uh, crazy story that happened and, you know, and I'm sure it happens a lot more often than we actually know it. There was once a person, uh, by the name, uh, he, his name was Heshi Blastman. He came, he was a Holocaust survivor. He lost his wife, he lost his kids, he lost his parents, he lost everybody in the Holocaust. He made his way to America, the land of the paved with gold, or so he thought. And says, you know, I'm going to come start my life again over here. So he goes, the one problem that he had is he didn't speak any English, right? 
spoke Yiddish, spoke German, but no English. So he goes and he starts tries to get a job. He goes from one place to another place, and they're like, "I'm sorry, if you don't speak English, you can't uh, you can't work here. How are you going to interact with customers?" So he was down on his luck. He had no way of getting any panasa, no way of making any money. And finally, he's like, you know, he sees an ad that a shul, a synagogue, is looking for somebody to help a shamash, someone to help and clean up after everyone leaves, you know, and to come early in the morning and make sure everything's set up, and, you know, and basically take care of the synagogue. So it's perfect. He says, you need to learn English for that. So he says he goes and he interviews for that job. And they're interviewing him and everything is, it checks out. And finally, before they close it off, they're like, listen, uh, do you uh, speak English? And he's like, I happen to not speak English, but what, what does it matter? And they're like, no, you know, I'm sorry. He says, but uh, in order to get this job, you need to speak English. And he's like, why do we need to speak English? Because everyone here is Jewish. Everyone here speaks, uh, you know, the, what's the Jewish language in the early days in America? It was Yiddish. Everyone's, yeah, so he says, you know, why do I need to speak English? I speak Yiddish and I get to communicate that way. And they're like, no, you can't. Sometimes we get people that are, you know, unaffiliated and they, you know, they're coming for the, for let's say, a simcha, for the Shabbat. And, you know, we need to have somebody be able to translate and to, and to basically communicate with them. He says, we need somebody who can. If you don't speak English, I'm sorry. So the guy was, you know, Don, you know, he was nothing doing. And he goes out on the street and he's thinking, what am I supposed to do? And he decides, listen, he says, the only place that I don't have to learn English is if I speak, if I work for myself. So he says, he goes and he finds a friend. He says, listen, can you buy, can I borrow some money? He borrowed a small sum of money and he invested in a push cart. So he, he basically sold stuff on the street. He bought stuff in a store, uh, household items, and he sold it in the street. And he said, well, listen, I don't have to speak whatever language I want. I'm my own boss. And he goes and he, um, he's, happens to be, he was pretty successful. He, in a short while, he paid back the loan. And after, you know, after that, he had he he was making enough money that he invested in another push cart. So he bought two push carts, and eventually that was going well. And he sold the push carts and he bought a store storefront. And again, that kept on. It went really well. And he bought another store. And one thing led to another. And he kept on buying another store, another store. And eventually, he ended up buying factories. Eventually, he became he he used to he had over a hundred employees working for him, and he was a multimillionaire. And he's talking back in those days, right? So he had money. And uh, eventually, you know, he, you know, he, he got a keen eye in business, and he's, he got um, somebody decided that, you know, gave him information that a possible merger between his company and another company that would possibly be very profitable. He looks over the numbers and he speaks to a few people, and he decides he wants to go through with the merger. And he speaks to the, the you know, the his the, the other, which is the partners, the new partners that are coming in, and they spoke to their company. And a few months of negotiation, and decided sounds good. They're going to go through with the merger. And so they go to the, you know, the big shot lawyers, they go into this huge tall skyscraper in Manhattan with this, you know, fancy mahogany table and the, you know, the crazy, all the ambiance that's going on over there. And they're signing papers and they're both coming with their teams. He's coming with his team of lawyers, he's coming with his team of lawyers. And, um, you know, they're signing papers and eventually, you know, his partner says, his partner says, listen, he says, uh, you know, before you sign, I know you, you let your lawyer read, I, I want you to read it also, you know, I want to make sure everything's open on the table. So the guy goes to them, how she goes to them and says, listen, I would love to, but I, I don't, I don't read English. And they're like, you, you what? You don't? They're like, and everybody was silenced. And so he starts smiling and says, okay. So he says, listen, he says, I don't know how to read a word of English, and I'm a multimillionaire. He says, you know what I would have been if had I known English? Right? Everyone would be like, oh, I'm a billionaire. He says, no, no, no. I would have been cleaning a synagogue. Right? That's what I would have been doing. He says, you know why I had to go into this? Because God closed off all doors for me. And he opened up only one door. And that door was my success. And he says, that's the only reason why I'm a millionaire. Because I didn't know. I, I, my failure was my biggest success. There are many people that they, they, God closes doors. And they're like, God, why? Why did this happen to me? Why? I just had this great business opportunity and it closed the door. And you know, you think everything failed. 
The little that you know that that could have been your ticket, your golden ticket. That could have been your golden, you know, the way to, to whatever it is that you wanted. There are many people in life that they get upset that things don't go their way. What they don't understand is that everything goes your way. There's a purpose, right? God is, is, is putting everything into play for you. It says the more you understand that, the more you feel that, the happier you'll be. The easier life will be for you. The easier you'll be able to, to, uh, um, you know, to live life. There's, uh, Obviously, the more spiritual a person is, I'm not saying Judaism. Obviously, Judaism is the real religion and it's the only thing that's true out there. But, but shout out to all the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> and there happens to be all the, all the, um, you know, the, the righteous uh, Gentiles also. I mean, as long as they're serving the, the, you know, but people that, you know, serve somebody that died, you know, who knows how long ago. But whatever it is, the, the more spiritual a person is, the more happier they'll, the, they live life, right? And they made a study. And it wasn't a Jewish study. They made a study about people that believe in God versus atheists. And people that believe in God were happier people, right? Because even if bad things happen, they're always like, okay, God has a plan. There is a reason, there's a purpose for everything, and they, and they push it off like, uh, to that. And they were okay with that. And because of that, they lived, the, the bad things were like, well, it's all right. It's not so bad. It's okay. God has a plan. They made a study, a very interesting study in Israel. Uh, the first, they did a study of 124 countries to figure out who is the happiest country in the world. Right? Gallup did this survey, right? the very famous uh, survey, uh, um, whatever company. So they ranked, Israel was ranked number seven out of the 124 uh, um, countries. Now, first of all, if you look in Israel, right, Israel is not a, you know, a rich, you know, there's, there's, most of the people are living in poverty. Or the, uh, below, there's a very short, uh, there's a, the smallest percentage, maybe 16% or something, are living a very, a very wealthy lifestyle. Most of Israel is not living, you know, and, and they're living in cramped, you know, the, the real estate there is crazy. You know, uh, um, you know, weather there is nice, I guess. But, they, but you think about it, like, why isn't, how did we get to number seven? How did we get to number seven of being happiness? And I want to say, not only is the number seven, it's really number one. Who do you think they ask, are you happy? They didn't go to the, the yeshivot, where people are learning Torah, and be like, hey, by the way, you're happy? No, they're learning Torah. They went to the beach. Right? Or they went to whoever was willing to answer their questions. Hey, how, you know, can you, you know, do the survey? So he says, the reason is, is had they would have gone to the people learning Shabbat, they would have came up as number one. He says, but you look at their life and you're like, okay, what, what is it that they're so, 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 so happy about? You know? And, and, you know, if you, when I was in Israel, and I think I, said, I mentioned this before, is, you know, I was in Israel about, what, like eight months ago. And when I was there, I stayed in a very religious community. And like any, I would say normal, but really not, I, you know, while walking in the street, what do you do? Check your emails, right? I don't know if I told you this. In Japan, they have, they have a texting lane, which means there's one, it's for, you're on your phone and it's arrows. Yeah. One person this way, so you don't bump into people. You just keep on walking straight. And the other person works straight the other way. Right? But Zadashem will come to New York. Don't worry about it. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know how many accidents happen? People walk into, how many times have you seen, I'm sure you have seen people text and walk into branch. Well, you know, or, what? I'm sure it's nothing. It's nothing. Con, uh, con, I don't know. I, didn't, I, didn't, I meant to look it up, and I forgot to look it up. Um, it was like Sweden or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. So, uh, um, but I was there. I was in Israel. I was walking. I was on my phone, checking my emails. You know, wasting time. Obviously, things. Nothing that you, you could have couldn't have waited. And I stopped for a second. I look around. And I realized I'm the only person on his phone, right? Because everybody else has a kosher phone, which is about the size of like this, right? It has a kosher stamp on it. All you can do, you can't text, you can't, there's no internet, all you have is phone calls, right? So there's nothing for them to do, maybe possibly play Snake if they, if they have, a, you know, advanced version, right? They have nothing, so they're not, they're not law on their phone. They're looking and they're just walking around enjoying. When was the last time you looked at a flower and be like, wow, that is a really cool flower? When you look at the clouds and be like, that's an awesome form of clouds. You need to enjoy a tree, right? Everybody's so involved in this that they forget about everything else that's happening in this world. And I'm walking in Israel and I'm seeing all this and I'm like, and I think I for sure said this before over here. He says, I saw kids and I saw kids playing with a tire, 
right? And for a kid, right, if you have a tire and a hill, you're good. You don't need anything else. If you get in the tire, whew, forget about it, right? That's a, that's a bonus, right? These kids were so happy playing with, some of them are older kids who are so happy playing with a tire and, and you know, and, and a hill. And you have kids over here that are obese from eating just fast food all day and playing video games that they always complain to their parents, how come I don't have the newest video game? And, oh, and I want to go outside, but give me a hoverboard so I don't have to actually walk, right? To God forbid do any exercise in my, you know, 300 pound obese 10 year old, right? Yeah, and, and you, you think about it and you look, you look at it, it's like we are so much technologically advanced. We give kids everything. Yet you look at the Israel where you have the people that are sitting and learning to walk and they're doing it at, they are so much happier. I saw it with my own eyes. It's very simple. You could, you could see somebody that's happy. You see a kid over here who is upset that they didn't get the new iPhone 6 Plus and they only got the iPhone 5 and, they're, they're, and they're, meanwhile the kid over there is happy that he has a stick and a bowl. Right? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about a stick and a bowl that probably doesn't have enough ear in it. And they're happy. Right? And it makes you start thinking and be like, maybe we're doing something wrong and maybe they're doing something right. There is a, there is a, um, a very interesting, you know, People think that, you know, happiness is like a nice bonus in life. But it's actually, not only it's a, it's a mitzvah. Not only it's a mitzvah, we soon say it's an obligation. There's a pasuk in the Varim, Deuteronomy 26, chapter 11. You should be, you should be happy with all the good that God has given you. Now, interesting how it said the pasuk with all that God has given you. There are many times, and there's a Medrash Shabbat that speaks about this Kohelet, that says that, that, why are a lot of people not happy? Because they don't have everything they want yet, right? We know what the famous thing is. You have 100, you want 200, right? You have 1 million, you want 2 million. You have 2 million, you want 4 million. You have 4 million, you want 8 million, right? And so on and so forth. No one's ever satisfied with what they have. God, God says in the Torah, says be happy with everything that you have now, right? There's a secret of being happiness. It says if you're happy with what you have now, then you'll be content, can you be happy, right? Right, who is happy? Who is, sorry, who is wealthy? Somebody who's happy with, uh, with whatever, with what they have. There's no, more than that, Rabbi Chaim Vital. Chaim Vital was the primary disciple of the Arizal, which was like one of the greatest Kabbalists in the past 1500 years. Right? He was the type, he was the type of person that if you look at, if he looks at you, he could tell you all your previous reincarnation, what your soul stems from, what you need to work on, like everything, he saw everything. So Rabbi Chaim, Rabbi Chaim Vital said, he says that constantly feeling happy is one of the four basic character traits that are, uh, that are essential to acquire. Right? The other three are humility, appropriate silence, you have to know when to be quiet, and, and, and four is control of desires, right? This is in Shalai Kedusha, if you want to look it up. So, so happiness is a very, very essential part to living life. The, um, and more than that is, is that we'll soon see that everything that I'm telling you, I don't know if you're, you're going to pick, pick up on it, is that all the things that the science says about being happy, and that the Torah said a long time ago, if you listen to the Torah, if you do all the mitzvot, you will be happy, right? It says in Mishlei, chapter 3, verse 17. If you li- the Torah ways are pleasant, right? They're not, they're not meant to be like hard and burdensome, this and that. It's pleasant. You just gotta, you gotta know how to do it right. You know, sometimes if you're working out and you, and you could hurt yourself, but if you do it right, you could gain a lot bigger. There are many people that, that think they're religious, but they're not doing it right. They do the motions. What's the motions, right? If you ask, it says, by keeping Torah mitzvahs, really, then you'll be extremely happy. Then you'll have the people that will say, well, listen, I was religious, and, you know, they went off the derech, and they didn't become religious, and I wasn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, wasn't happy. So I guarantee you, all those people did not do religion right. They did, they might have went through the motions. Do that's something else. A lot of people go through the motions. They go through the motions of being religious, doing all the tawah, doing all the listening, doing all the mitzvot. But they by no means were religious. Pretended to be religious, for sure. I know many people that, are, that have gone off the derech, unfortunately, and I've never met one that was, re- that really, that really kept the tawah inside. Where it counts, right? In the, you know, every mitzvah that you do, you enjoy it, you, you, you pray thinking, you know, like, everything you, you put an emphasis in it, not just whatever, you know, like, you know, praying and then you're just, uh, going through all the motions of the... Yeah. Okay, so now, it's very interesting because happiness, hap- 
you go to somebody else and you'd be like, uh, can you, you can't, somebody who never had happiness before, you can't explain it. It's like an emotional state of being based on, you know, physiological, uh, things that happen in your body. It's like explaining, um, you know, somebody who has, uh, it's put, put it this way. It's like, uh, explaining the color blue to a blind person. How, how do you do that? Motion, you know, being happy. There are many people that, that, uh, you know, never realize what a really, real happiness is. They've never realized what a real happiness is. Listen to what a convert wrote about happiness. And now I want to quote this, like three, three lines. It says, being Jewish has given me happiness. It's a woman convert. Being Jewish has given me happiness, not on the, the momentary, the fleeing kind that comes with money, sports, and which passes swiftly, leaving empty feelings, uh, empty feelings. The happiness that comes with Jewish living has to do with serenity of the soul, whole and satisfaction at the deepest level. Here you're talking about somebody who is not religious, not Jewish, came religious, and she says, now I know what happiness is. You want to know how to get real happiness? Listen to the Torah mitzvot, right? There's a reason for them. It's not just like random things. Hey, by the way, I want you to shake a palm tree, you know, uh, you know, once a year. Why not? Yeah, I'll go live in a tent. You know, there's a reason for everything, right? By the way, no chametz for, for, you know, for, you know, seven, eight days. And yeah, enjoy. Good luck. Yeah? Buy some good, uh, what is it called when someone's constipated? Buy some good laxatives. Enjoy, right? There's a reason for every single mitzvah and it's for our benefit. Right? For our own benefit, both in this world and in the next world. The Rab Noach Weinberg says, he says that there is, um, the, there's nothing like, like, uh, there's no such a happiness as pursuing the, um, the relationship with God, the relationship with the infinite. And more than that, Chazunish said in the Munavi Bitachon, says God's clear knowledge of God's existence generate happiness. Right? And you see people that are, that are, you know, the, the real big rabbis, they're, they're, you, there's no one happier than them. Right? There's no one happier than that. There is a, um, you know, we spoke about uh, last time, it says that not only is happiness a requirement, it's an obligation. Right? We spoke about last week is that, that you have to have an, you're, you have an obligation for, to, to, um, of, of happiness, not only for yourself, but for somebody else. Now, there is, uh, um, an interesting story that it was in the Second World War, right, in the ghetto in, uh, the Holocaust. It says there was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov Lubchansky. I might be pronouncing his name right, his name wrong. He was incarcerated in the ghetto. And, um, when people looked at him, he was always happy. He was always with joy and happiness. And, you know, so another rabbi there, Rabbi Fahim Ushri, he asked him, he says, you know, in all this, like, you know, dim circumstances, how are you so happy? So the rabbi answered, he says, by nature, I am easily frightened. And I get very scared of everything. He says, but why should my, you know, nature of being scared hurt other people? Says this, they're gonna see me scared, they're gonna get scared also. They're gonna see me upset, they're gonna get upset also. Says it's my obligation to make sure that I'm happy so that they can be happy. Right? And this rabbi went and enforced himself to be happy so that other people shouldn't get upset because when they see him upset. This is what, you know, this is how somebody who is curious for other people. There is a, uh, and this is by the way, this is obvious. When you, when you meet, when you're with a happier person, you're happier. Right? And this is why also very interesting, is this is a very interesting, uh, you know, observation. If let's say there's one person drunk, and they're like all crazy and like doing all wild stuff. You realize everybody around them are all loosed up also. They're like, they didn't drink anything, but they're like all, you know, like they're all get in the same, in the same, you know, sort of light sort of environment. Now, what, what is that? They, they didn't drink. The answer is it's because it's contagious, right? Somebody's going in the mood is always depressed, always upset, always angry. He's going to make everybody else angry. Someone's happy is going to make everybody else happy, right? It's very important. It's not only your, your, um, your right to be happy for, your, for yourself. You already have an obligation for everybody around you to be happy, especially if you're married. You walk home from a hard day at work, right, and your wife has to deal with all the anger and frustration that you have to let out on her, right? It's not, you know, you have an obligation to be happy for everybody. The Baal Shantel furthermore, furthermore says, he says that, he says that God put you into this world for a certain, for a certain, uh, uh, purpose. He says, by you becoming depressed and sad, 
which means that you're not happy with God's reason of putting you in here. He says, well, you, know, you don't think God has the, the best for you? He says, God put you here for, for a purpose. He says, this is why it's an obligation that a person has to always be happy. He says, more than that, he says that if you see a Jew, if a Jew is happy, it does something called the Kedush Hashem, the sanctifying of God's name. Person says, oh, look, 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 look at this Jew, so happy, so nice. You know, as opposed to you see a Jew who's depressed, is upset, is sad, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, look at these, you know, nothing's going for them, right? They can't, they, the religion, everything is, it, and it makes a Chilul Hashem, it makes a desecrating of a God's name, right? A person has to understand that, that it doesn't, everything affects more than one person. People think that it only affects me and nothing else. Rabbi Chaim of Elijah, right, writes, he says, in, in Ruach Chaim, he says, when you're feeling joy, you can gain so much more out of one, lear- one hour of learning Torah than many hours of learning it of sadness. And more than that, I would say that Arizal, um, which I, I guess I put it down later, but I'm bringing it out, that Arizal that was asked, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the... Um, yeah. So, so the Arizal um, said, he, he told his disciple, he said, you know how I reached such a high level? Because I did all the mitzvot with happiness. So the, re- the secret for me getting to such a high level is because all the mitzvot I did was with extreme happiness. Okay, so now we have, I want to speak about, there's an, there's a additional, uh, there's a law, it's, it's called the Ahafta Lerecha which means you have to love your friend like yourself, right? Which brings to mind of, of the, the question of suicide. I don't know if I spoke about it over here before, right? Suicide is, 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 uh, is a very, very big sin in the Torah. So much so is that you don't get buried in a Jewish cemetery. Now, the obvious question is, is, is why do we care so much if someone committed suicide? If somebody wants to commit suicide, let them, whatever, what does it bother with anybody else? And the answer is, there is a law. Rabbi Akiva says, You have to love your friend like yourself. This is an important rule in the Torah. And not a foundation, in, the, in a rule of Torah. If you don't love yourself, how are you supposed to love somebody else? If a person commits suicide, which is obviously he doesn't love himself, then he's, he missed the Torah. He missed the whole, the whole idea of it. He missed the whole thing of it. More than that, there's, a, there's, a, there's an organization called the World Health Organization. Um, in 2006, it was reported that a, nearly a million people Took their own, take their own lives every year. So a million people commit suicide every year, right? They made us some sort of calculation, which is like every 40 seconds, someone's committed suicide. Which is crazy. That's an unbelievable. And more than that, in 1998, the, the, again, the World Health Organization made, they ranked, they ranked suicide as the 12th leading cause of death worldwide. In some countries, it was higher than, um, than homicide, homicides. Which means is, which means is, and listen to this, this is crazy. There were more people killing themselves than killing other people. Isn't that crazy? There are more people that they, that they committed suicide than people that murdered other people, which is crazy. We're living in a world over here that the whole purpose, what everyone strives for is success and happiness and this, and you have all this suicide, all this depression. What's going on? So there's a very important uh, thought Rabbi Yorcham Levavitz brings down. He says that a person is people, why do people live, live with depression and lack of happiness is because they feel like this is it. They cannot get any better. They feel that they, this is the, you know, this is where they are and they get used to it. They get used to feeling, you know, down, depressed. And, and they feel this is regular life, right? This is the problem with, well, let's say, uh, spouses are in an abusive relationship. They feel like, that's it, there's nothing else out. This is, this is what it is. And they stick through it the whole thing and they live a miserable life, right? People are depressed for whatever reasons and they feel they can't change. There's no way that, the, you know, this person could ever be happy, right? I know a few people like that. Their husbands left them and they, you know, the kids are, you know, and, and they just gave up. They gave up a life, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a very important rule, which is obviously very obvious, is never give up. And I'll tell you this an interesting experiment that was done. A marine biologist did an interesting experiment. They put the, they put a shark in a big, in a large pool. And while the shark was swimming in the pool, they put some fish as like bait. 
And the second the shark saw the fish, it just went and like devoured them, like you know, piranhas. You know, like you know, like within a few seconds, it was gone. Then they waited till the shark was hungry again, and then they put a fiberglass in the middle, and they put again, which is like a see-through uh, type of uh, strong material, and then they put the the this this fish, this um, this like uh, feedier fish, on the other side of it, and the shark saw it, so it started racing at it. But then it's head-on went into the fiberglass, and it started banging against the fiberglass, and it kept on trying to go all around, and for like an hour it was trying to get through the fiberglass, and it's all it didn't, uh, you know, nothing was doing. So they took out the fish and they waited. A short while later, they tried the same experiment. They kept the fiberglass in there and they put the fish back again. Again, the shark saw it and went attacks head off first and tried to, uh, you know, eat the fish. But again, he kept on bumping into all the fiberglass and wasn't able to get through. They did this a few times. Every time they took it, they let the shark rest, and every time they put it back in again. Eventually, the shark started to try to get the fish less and less. Right? Eventually, it started only for a half hour. Then it tried to get it for 15 minutes. Eventually, only for five minutes. Eventually, he tried once or twice, didn't work, swam away. Right? And then, what they decided to do is the final thing that they did is they took the fiberglass out, and they put the fish in there. And they saw that the shark didn't even attack the fish. Didn't attack the fish. Why? Because it thought, I can't. It thought, there's no way I could do it. There are many people in life that they think that they can't do something. They can't do it because they feel that there's this fiberglass blocking them. And meanwhile, there's nothing there. You just walk straight through. And they don't realize they put this, this fiberglass on themselves. There is, there is, a person should never give up. Happiness is achievable by everyone and anyone. Right? And a person has to go and, and if it's harder, you have to work for it. There's a very interesting story I saw that, uh, um, there was once a group of kids that did very poorly on a test. So the, the rabbi of the, of the class, he decided he knew, he knew this, uh, um, this ranch owner, was a very wealthy guy. He says, you know, let's go on a field trip. So they take him on the field trip. And this guy, and you know, they see there's like, you know, hundreds of acres of land and there's horses everywhere. And this guy has, lives in a mansion. Everything is like amazing. The kids are having a great time all day. At the end of the day, they had like a little barbecue. And the, the ranch um, uh, owner said, you know, I want to tell you kids a story. So the reason why I told your rabbi to bring you here today is as follows. He says, when I was uh, um, like 12 years old, he says his pet, his father was a horse trainer. So they kept on traveling from place to place in order to, wherever business took him. And they didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of, you know, and they kept on moving and, you know, kept on having to make new friends and going to new schools. And it was very hard on him. And one day his teacher said he wants everybody to write an essay on their dreams of life. So this kid, he said, you know, he really wanted to do really well on this essay. So he put a lot of work and effort to it. He thought about it. He's like, yeah, like I'm going to have a 200-acre ranch. I'm going to have a huge palace on this ranch. I'm going to have tons of horses and tons of this. And he put a lot, a lot of effort into this. And he gives it into the into the teacher thinking for sure he's going to get an A. This is an amazing report. And the next day, the teacher gives him back the report with a big fat F on it. Uh, you know, nice and red and straight, you know, makes your kids ego nice and, uh, I don't know why, where teachers decide to put in blood ink. You know, by the way, you failed. You know, uh, what's, what, why has it got to be scared of the kids? But in any case, they, uh, um, he, he says, well, why, did, why did you fail me? He says, I've worked so hard on this. And the teacher says, says because it's very, it's, it's impossible for you to happen. You come from a poor family. You want, I'll give you, I'll reconsider. Give me a realistic dream. He says, this dream, you're, you're just, you're really dreaming. I want something that's realistic. So the kid fell bad. He takes his report home and he thinks it over at, at you know, his house. He takes out a pen and paper thinking that he's going to write another report. He really wanted to do well. And then, you know, he suddenly gets filled up with fire and he's like, you know what? No. He puts the paper down. The next day, he goes back to the teacher, and he gives him the paper bag. He says, you keep the F. I'll keep my dreams. Right? And he says, you might be wondering, and you probably would have guessed about it, but that was me. Right? And I want to show you. And he brought him to the back room, and he had a little, little report card that was filled up there with a big F on, the, on his dream. And he told each kid, you might be going through a hard time in school, but never give up. Never give up on your dreams because everything is attainable, and I'm proof of it. I am living my dream right now. People think that it's impossible for me to become religious. It's impossible. I can't. It's too hard. It's too hard. There's no such thing. If you want it hard enough, you will get it. 
anything in life. If you want it hard enough, you'll get it. Right? The only, the only problem is, is you don't want it hard enough. You want to be religious, you want to keep Shabbat, you want to keep kosher, you want to do all these things, you can do it. The person should never say, it's impossible, it's too hard, my wife, my this, my mother, my this, my kids, my that. No, all nonsense. Anything is possible, anything is, anything is achievable. Which brings us to the next thing that brings also uh, success is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is very, very important in life. If you ever realize, and, uh, and, and this is a, a very interesting thought to have, somebody goes in on vacation, right? He goes on vacation and he's, uh, you know, I don't know, he spends all day hiking, whatever it is, right? And he goes to sleep at 2 a.m. And the next day they have this like, crazy trip that's going on. They're going like kayaking or down or whatever. There's like, uh, something that he loves. And the thing is that they have to wake up at 6 a.m., which means he's going to get maximum four hours of sleep. So he hits his head on the table, the alarm wakes off, he's out of the bed, he's jumping, he's ready to have dressed with, you know, before he shuts off the alarm. He's got all the energy and he goes throughout the entire day able to accomplish everything, right? Same scenario in work or in school or learning to a while, whatever it is, right? He goes to sleep at 2 a.m., he has to wake up at 6. How does that happen? First of all, snooze for like an hour, right? And then finally he gets up, he needs 14 coffees, right? Any which way he can insert caffeine into him. And you know, what's the difference? He slept both the same exact amount. The difference is how much enthusiasm he had in life. If you're enthusiastic, if you have the happiness in life, you have a drive. If you have a drive, you're going to have so much, you can be able to accomplish so much. Success is those that, are, that have that enthusiasm, have that drive. You see all these rabbis that sit on the learn for so many hours. They have the drive. They don't need to sleep. They don't need to sleep. They sleep for two, three, four hours a night and they're good, right? Other people need 10 hours of sleep and even then, even then they need four coffees just to get them through the day. Is there people who lack drives, right? A person has to have a drive in life. That person has to have a purpose life. A purpose, if the purpose is going towards God and going towards spirituality, your, your enthusiasm, your, your, whew, you're gonna get some fire. You're gonna, your life is gonna be a different life. The next thing is to act happy, right? The many science already says, you know, does is that I even, I even heard, I gave this class once, and, uh, and they, they, one of the people that were in the class, they said, if you expand, that brings happiness. Contract the sadness. And that's why he says when you, the science says if you, if you're not, you don't feel happy, pretend to be happy. Smile. Smile. I've tried it. It works. You have a bad day? Smile. You look like a weirdo. Hey, you're like this. Smile. But a few minutes, you feel a little better. You feel a little better. When you smile, when you're expanding, you feel happier. And this, you know, this is what science says recently. But this already came Ramchal. Right? Ramchal already said this in Misalat Yisharim chapter 7. It says an act of, an external act of enthusiasm affects our inner feelings of joy. Which means that even if you're tired, even pretend to be happy, pretend to be energized, pretend to do all these things, it will come to you. You will get that. You will get that energy. You will get that that, that enthusiasm. You'll get that joy. So, the um, oh, this is probably one of the most important things. Um, the next thing is do not compare yourself to others, which I think is a big, big problem in practically every community that I've ever been to. But first, we have to start with media. Media. So. There's uh, something very interesting that I, and I, and I asked this also to women. How come women like when there are pretty women in movies? Right? Why is it, I understand men, not Jewish obviously, they're watching movies, they want a pretty woman because it's eye candy and they enjoy it, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But why do women care? And I asked this to women. I asked this to women, I said, why? I gave a cl- uh, this class to women, I said, why is it that, that you enjoy First of all, is it true? And they were like, they all agreed. It's true. They enjoy it when there's a pretty woman. All right, one answer said, you know, because it's pleasant to look at, or another one. Uh, none of them gave the answer that, that I'm going to give. And they, none of them disagreed with it, right? And this is the, this is the answer is, when you're watching a movie, a non-Jew is watching a movie, right? So they are going and they, they become, they be, they're in the movie. They're in the movie. They feel, why do they cry? Why are they happy? Why are they excited? Why are they sad? Why are they scared? Because, they're the main actor. They're, subconsciously, you're in the movie, right? The woman gets all emotional. Why? Because at some way, it happens to her. 
she sees a pretty woman and she associates that, oh, I'm very pretty, you know, so, you know, must, you know, and they associate it together. And if you realize this even more, you look at, let's say you look at people that uh, are after an action movie, right? Let's say some kung fu movie. You go and you see how, what are people, what are all the men doing, right? They can be 500 pounds, they're, they're you know, can't, they're like kung fuing each other into the, into, you know, like, you know, what are you doing? They're watching a parkour movie, right? And they're, they're jumping over gates and fences. Why? Because they got into the movie. They were so into it, right? Also, you see, if you go afterwards, especially with men, let's say they watch a movie about a car racing, something fast and something, you know, like, they, they went, the second, they could be driving a 1990 Corolla, right? They're, and, and, and it's not even, it's not even stick. But they're pretending as, you know, they're like, look, kids, pretending to be that. Why? Because they lived the movie. You lived inside the movie. Now, what happens when you're living this movie, right? You see this crazy movie. This guy has all the pretty woman and he's driving all the fancy cars and he has all the action and he has all the beautiful houses. And then you finish the movie. The lights go on and you're like, oh, that's a pretty boring life I have. I sit at a desk all day. You know, when was the last time I had a car chase? You know, when was the last time a woman fought for me? Or, that, you know, people think of me like, you know, they compare themselves to what they just seen and they see they're lacking. And not only that, and they're like, wow, look how exciting that person's life is. Look how pretty she is, you know, a girl thinks. And meanwhile, people are not understanding everything is fake. Everything, everything is special effects, makeup. I, you know, you shouldn't see this, but they've, they've, they've had, they've showed people before makeup and after makeup, right? And I said already that I think makeup should be illegal in certain ways, you know? It's just like completely somebody else. You can make a horse look like, you know, like the, the queen of the world, Miss America, right? The, the, what people go and people change and people see this and people see this and people think that this is what life is. That's why, that's a problem that when, when men don't watch their eyes and they see everything that they look at everything that they're not supposed to look at. And now it's the summer. Now it's the time when people have to watch their eyes. They, they look at and they think about, oh, okay, awesome. Look how, look how, you know, this woman is, a, is very pretty. This woman is very pretty. And the end, they don't, they, they only want to marry a 10 model, right? Meanwhile, they're at four at best. You know, and they think that they deserve the best. Why? Because nonstop they're looking at everybody else and they think this is what's normal. And they think this is what I'm going to get. And, and these are people that don't get unfortunately married. The, uh, the problem is, is that you live in a fake world. We live in a world that's fake and people are looking at everywhere else. And that is by no means conducive to any happiness. People think, okay, you know, I'll watch a nice comedy uh, a movie and I'll feel happy. By all means, no. Maybe temporarily, yes. While you're in the movie, then you come back to reality. It's like an escape from reality. It's a drug in a very, very like uh, non-drug type of way, if I could say that. So, the the um, you know there's besides that. And let me first of all, the Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda Levi in Sefer Akuzi says says that it's an obligation that we have to be happy with what we have. It's a mitzvah. We have to be happy with what we have, right? Looking at all these movies and saying, oh, how come I don't have an Aston Martin? How come I don't have a Ferrari? Where's my yacht? Yeah, you, you look at all these these things and you want all these things. It says you're you're just taking away only from yourself. You're not. You're taking away the happiness from yourself. You have to be happy with what you have. So this is very interesting is why there are certain, and I also had, you know, the girls were able to uh, agree with this. There are certain magazines that they, what they do is, it's complete lie. Like, it's like, forget about Lashon Allah. Lashon Allah is true. They're completely non-true. The whole entire magazine bashing celebrities. This one's getting divorced. This one lost all their money. This one did this. This one did that. And people buy it. They're in business. And they know that it's fake. They know, they read something that's fake. And I'm like, why? Why, why are you doing that? Why? You, you know, it's like, it's like reading something like, hey, this is something that's never going to happen. Well, yeah, that's an interesting story. But why do they read that? Because they feel good. feel, oh, you know, like, oh, the, the big actors, they just lost $10 million. Or she just gained 500 pounds. A girl feels good by just gaining 5 pounds, right? They're getting divorced. They're not so happy, so they're feeling better. A person feels happy when the other people are not doing well. They're looking at all these stars and how much of an amazing life they have. And they feel bad with their own life. They buy these magazines, so they feel better about themselves. But again, this is not, this is not the way to, for true happiness. What, are you going to base your happiness over somebody else's misery? So... 
the, the number one thing is a person has to make sure you don't, you don't make your happiness contingent on others. Right? A person has to base it happiness. Happiness comes from within. Not from without, you know, bringing in, get, let me get more stuff, more stuff. That's going to bring me happiness. There are many people, which relates to social media, there are many people that are, are like 10 minutes, I'll be done, but whatever, yeah. There's, uh, um, there are many people that they have, uh, but if you have to go, go. The, there are many people that they plaster on social media everything uh, that, uh, you know, they, uh, in their private life, right? They put, it was very interesting, uh, you know, so first of all, people have to understand that people, some people appear happy, but the inside they're not happy, right? I've seen many people, I've spoken to many people. There are smiles all day, cracking jokes all day. Inside, they're, they're dying inside. They're, they're, they're depressed like crazy. They're, they're showering, oh, life is amazing and life is that. And inside, they're really hurting. They're really, they're really you know, this is a big problem with social media. There was uh, Rabbi Yosef Horowitz, right, founder of the Nevardic. He was once walking with a student. And he saw two, cu- it was a couple. And a couple were all like joking. And they were like, looked like they were having a great time. And as they were passing by, and the rabbi told the student, he says, you see that couple over there? He says, I know nothing about them. But I could tell you right now that they have plenty, they have a lot, a lot of problems that they're trying to cover up. You have many times that you see people on social media, right? I have the best husband in the entire world. He just bought me flowers. How many likes am I going to get? Right? How many thumbs up am I going to get? Right? And they post it on the entire world. Oh, my husband just took me to this amazing dinner. Right? My wife just bought me and made me this crazy steak. And you take pictures of it in the right lighting. Right? And you post it on social media and see how many people are going to be jealous. Oh, yeah. I got 40 likes in this one. 150 in this one. No, you see that? Well, that was a good night. You know? You base it off on somebody else's uh, on desire and like. What the, you know, the people that do that do not have any... There's no reason for somebody to scream out to the world as much as contrary to the popular belief, your love for your wife. You should feel that. Absolutely. You should feel that you're the luckiest person in the world. There's no need for you to splatter it all over social media. Right? Besides the fact, it's like, you never know, maybe somebody who just lost her husband is reading that. Right? And then she starts crying. Oh, my, my husband used to do that for me. He used to buy me for hours. Right? Or somebody who's not married. He's got to, why do you got to cause other people's problems by, by flaunting your, your blessings over everybody else? Right? Besides the fact that it doesn't show that you have so much blessing when you're posting everything on social media. Right? There are certain things that are very important to be kept private. The next thing is to be optimistic. There are some people that if something, if they think something can go wrong, it will go wrong, right? They don't go on dates. Why? They're burnt out. I can't, I, you know, it's too much. I don't want to get hurt again. Be like, you know, people, you know, there's a certain saying, uh, you, you only live once, right? The non-Jews, terrible, terrible saying. Absolutely no clue why. It's like, you only live once. Oh, jump off a bridge. That yeah, makes sense. No, that's why you shouldn't jump off a bridge because you only live once, right? But I don't know how people mix the whole thing up in the, in the, on the other way around. But, if you think about it, it says, you know, you do only live once. Well, take a leap of faith. So you get, if you get hurt, come on, you, you know, you get up. You, love is important. You gotta get married. You gotta do that. A lot of people don't, you refuse. They're not optimistic. They're all pessimistic and everything is gonna happen bad. It will happen bad. There was once a, a girl. So I love this little uh, parable. There was once a girl who had two apples. Her mother gave her two apples. She was holding the two apples. Nice, clean, not bitten. And, um, her mother comes and says, you know, little girl, can you please give me, give mommy uh, an apple? So she looks at the two apples. She looks at her mother for a second. She takes a bite out of one swallows it, quickly takes a bite out of the other one. And the mother was like, oh, no, she didn't. Uh, oh, she's going to get the, you know. And then, luckily, the mother waited. And the little girl goes, says, here, mommy, take this one. It's sweeter. Right? There are many times that, that, that things happen in life and be like, God, why do you hate me? Why? Why? What do I do? I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to keep Shabbat. I'm trying to do kosher. I'm trying to do all these things. Why does this happen? Let, you, you, you don't even just know that God just tasted the apple for you and says, no, this is not a good door for you. This one is sweeter. Go over here. What you think as something bad is really something that's very good. The next thing is, is uh, exercise. And I, I, want, I know I'm rushing through a little bit. I want to I finish up and a few minutes will be done. The um, exercise. It is 
very important when you exercise, it's scientifically proven, it says you release positive endorphins and it makes you a happier person. And they made a, they made a study of this. So they depressed people and they split them into three groups. Number one, they gave Zoloft an antidepressant. Number two, they gave Zoloft an exercise. Number three was just exercise. I said, I said, so, so the, the, no, that was with kindness. This is with exercise. That was the same, same experiment just with doing chesed. This is the difference. This is with, this is with kindness. They did kindness. They did the exercise. It says, who, the, the, the first one with just, with just the medication, they were baseline. The people that did exercise and they had the medication, they were on a much higher level. And p- matching to par with them were the people that didn't take any medications and just did the exercise. Now you have to ask, you know, well, if these people are depressed, how is it, you know, how is it that they didn't even need the medication? And the answer is, is that if you take a medication, what's making you feel better? The medication. But if you're doing exercise, you're making yourself feel better. And that itself is worth so much. It says, no, I feel better because I worked on myself. You're not just popping pills. It's mental. It's mental, yeah. Well, depression is also a mental, you know. So uh, they, they felt that they were, they got happier because they were working on themselves. They did something, which also bring us to the next point of the happiness. We probably went through, we're probably going to go through like 10 to 15 things of happiness throughout the, these two classes. The next thing is to, to complete something. It's very important. There's a Mishnah in Ketubot, right? Chapter 5, Mishnah 4. Living without any goals breeds instability. A person has to have goals in life. Yeah, you learn, let's say you're learning, right? There are many people, unfortunately, when they start learning, they're learning Torah, they, they'll open a book, they'll never finish it, they'll go to the next one, and they go to the next one. It's very important to finish something. You feel accomplished when you f- finish something. Also, if you start a project, you start a project in your home, finish it. It brings a certain happiness when you complete it. You see the full product. You see the full thing, right? Don't, you know, paint the whole thing and miss like one little streak. You know, complete it A to Z, it'll bring you some happiness. Additionally, the next thing is a person, people have to change the vocabulary, right? People, if someone's asking you, how's life? How's everything? It's all right. It's good, right? Then that's what life is. All right, good. Someone asks you, how's life? You say, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. You, you're convincing yourself life is, even though you, you might have not had a great day, but say it, say it, because, you know, it's going to make yourself, it's going to change your internal feelings and how you feel, but just by just saying it. And the proof is you could try it. If someone gets angry, someone's really furious, Say to yourself, I'm a little annoyed. Instead of saying I'm furious and angry, I can't believe it, you know, say I'm a little annoyed and you'll see how it just went down a little bit. Try the next time and then you'll see it'll work for the, for the other way around also. There, there is also a, um, there is also a, uh, you know, you know, an important idea that, that it's, you know, there, in the time of the, you know, halfway through the last century, right, in the 1950s and something like that, you know, after that, there were many people that were brought up religious and they went off, they did not become religious. So they brought it up, at, you know, to Moshe Feinstein, a big rabbi, and they, you know, what's going on over here? What's, why are so many people that are brought up religious are becoming not religious, right? They complained that on the Holocaust, but Moshe Feinstein said as follows, said that something amazing. He says, you have a responsibility to show your kids that, that being a Jew is good. Being a Jew is ha-. In the olden days, you know, they, they wouldn't be able, they would work for a few days and then come Saturday, come Shabbat, they, they have to work on Shabbat. If you don't work Shabbat, don't bother coming in Sunday. So what did the parents come in? They came in in Yiddish saying, "Es is schwer zu sein Yid." In English, it means it's very tough to be a, a be a Jew. When you're sitting there, you know this is a, just reminds me. There was once a you know back then there was a um, also like a story happened a while ago. The kindergarten teacher decided that you know this one's going to play daddy, this one's going to play mommy, and they're all going to pretend what's going on in, the, in their in their Shabbat tables. So they see the you know the the kid who's pretending to be Tati, you know, like the daddy, and he's walking in there, he's walking, you know, like his belly sticking out, he's walking over there, he sits down, and he's like. <sighs> what a hard week. This little kid, right? And the, the, the teacher's looking at him and be like, this is what he sees at home. He says, oh, what a hard week. Oh, it's so tough to be a Jew. If a kid sees, oh, it's so hard to be a Jew, you gotta, can't keep, yeah, this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this, you can't, do... 
who you expect the kid to stay Jewish? It's like, why? Wow, you feel, he sees that your life is miserable. So it's your, it's your opportunity, right, to tell your to show your kids being Jewish is the most amazing, awesome thing possible. It's awesome. Shabbat is awesome. Kosher is awesome. The fact that I can't eat that is amazing, right? You don't think of it as like, oh, no, I, you know, I wish we could, son, but it's not kosher, so, you know, we're going to have to starve a little bit. No, you got to play it the positive way. So you play it the positive way, your kids are going to, your kids are going to love Judaism. You could, the kids live by example. Very important. There is a, there is a, a mitzvah, there is a, you know, the, it says in Tehillim, chapter 100, verse 2. It says, You have to serve God with happiness. It's a, it, you know, it's an obligation. And more than that, the Rambam, Maimani, says in Hilchot Lulav, on Sukkot, he says that if, not, he, he says a very interesting, he says one must allow himself to feel happiness when doing a mitzvah. And one who holds back is unaccountable for his lack of joy. Which means is it's, it's, you know, the, the, the mitzvah, you, you have to have happiness with it. It's like you're, you're getting, right now you're sitting over here, right? I know it's late, we're running a little bit late. Every minute that you're here, you're getting endless reward. You should be happy that, that, you know, we're running a little bit over board, right? <laughs> <laughs> almost finished, almost finished. So, um, there's, uh, uh, you know, even, even the, the, he says, he says that when you're doing a mitzvah and you, are you, you're happy, that itself is a mitzvah. That itself is a, is, a, is a mitzvah that you're doing. Okay, so now um, the final thing is what I want to speak about is grudge. But it's a, it's a, it's another story. It's about five, ten, ten minutes. Should we continue next week or should we finish it with a, with a next week? Okay, so, any questions? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.